The Metis Tech Show. Welcome to the Metis Tech Show, a show for HVAC professionals by HVAC professionals. The Metis Tech Show. All right, so uh, Scott, I know you've been to this place, and Juan, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about Cubanos. Yes. So Bryn and Steve and I went to this place down the street from the office in, in Southboro. The place is actually in Marlboro. It's Jen's place. It's a sub shop, and I ordered the Cubano, and I'm going to tell you, it was probably the best sub I've had in a very, very long time. Right. And you can't go wrong with that Cubano. No, this was so good. Thought. Well, first of all, I'm not crazy about pickles. I'm not crazy about yellow mustard. And it, both of those things were in the sub and it had some pork in there and then some chicken. And I forget, is chicken and pork supposed to go in there, both in there? Uh, turkey. 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 Well, they use chicken instead. But I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't have any breakfast yesterday. I ate that for lunch. And when I got home, I wasn't hungry for dinner and um, – other than a hard-boiled egg at 6 o'clock at night, that was the only thing I had all day. Yeah, Cubano typically has ham, turkey, and pork. Scott, what did you have when you went there? I, I, I also had a Cabano as well. A, a it was delicious. You say yeah, and, uh, Cabano? <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel honored. I feel honored. Yeah. Bryn, what did you get? I got what they call a kamikaze. So it was a shaved steak sub with American cheese and peppers and onions, but it had teriyaki sauce, and they also put pineapple Ooh. and banana peppers in there. Yeah, I almost got that, too. Yeah, Steve yeah, got that same thing. Teriyaki's yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve got that same thing, except his was the chicken kamikaze. Mm-hmm. And he's out sick today, so but yeah. not because of that. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if they'll make a Cubano kamikaze. Well, they should. All right, let's or stop talking about bottle. Yeah, no, let's <laughs> stop talking about those because now I'm, I want to go back there. It's like literally like five miles down the road from the office. So it's in Marlboro. It's on Church Street in Marlboro on the corner of Essex and Church. If anybody out there is in, interested, Marlboro, Massachusetts, it's Jenny's place. You can tell them the Metis Tech Show sent you, but they have no idea who we are. So yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, drive slow because you will miss it. All right. So Scott Tallman, Juan Cardona, Bryn Raptor, and me, Paul Shives, we're all here. And guys, what are we going to talk about today? We don't talk about diagnosing thermistors. We should note and, that Juan and Scott are in remotely. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so if they sound funny, that's why they're not here. Uh, we don't call this a studio. It's just a conference room. But Bryn and I are here in South Pro. Scott, where are you? Atlanta? Uh, Swanee, Georgia. Swanee, Georgia. Yep, Atlanta. And Juan? And I am in Hebron, Kentucky. Hebron, Kentucky. At the Ohio Training Center in Hebron, Kentucky. I am. All right. Yes. I love that. All right. <laughs> so thermistors, right? Let's start off with what is a thermistor? Well, a thermistor is a resistor that has variance. It reacts to temperature, and we use it in uh, all of our products uh, to, um, you know, to to monitor or to create a reaction in the system, uh, like. Uh, it, it, it's used to control functions within the system. 
like defrost. We have a defrost mixture that monitors soil temperature. Yeah, so it's basically a, a temperature probe. You know, and back in the day when there used to be, you know, um, copper probes attached to a pipe that had some type of yes. refrigerant in there, we, we no longer see those. It's just a resistor that changes resistance with the change in temperature, right? And we use That's them right. everywhere. And there's, I can't think of a system that we have that doesn't have four or five thermistors in it. If not more. Yeah, at least. Yeah. yeah. So that's in some minimum. units alone. Yeah. Yes, minimum in some of the interviews. It's minimum of three. Yeah. And it's city multi, it's M and P, it's everything. We have thermistors. And it's just in fact they're in your cars, they're in your fridge, they're probably in your dryer, everywhere. And they're used, like I said, to monitor temperatures to control functions within the system, mm-hmm. like compressor frequency, fan speed. Have so many other things that we do within the system. Yeah, usually when I'm teaching class, I'll usually explain a thermistor uh, as part of our gas and brake pedal for our compressor. You know, a lot of times yep. we're main, trying to maintain targets in those thermistors, especially on the residential side, because some of our units don't have pressure transducers. We're really just going off of temperatures to drive that compressor more or less. And so I always kind of use that as a reference, as those thermistors are acting like gas and brake pedals for that compressor. Very good. So we're going to get into how to diagnose them. Uh, some of the, you know, you're going to need some basic tools. All right. So let's talk. Um, about so what are the tools we need? Yeah, you know, you're going to need nut drivers or screwdrivers to remove the panels. And then, but the key tool is a uh, multimeter that allows mm. you to measure resistance. And we recommend, uh, at least in my classes, I recommend to have one with a minimum range of one mega ohm, which is one million ohms or yes. higher even. Um, so, um, but, but the critical part of that ohm meter or that multimeter is that you have a set of needle leads. The what? For my purpose. The needle, needle lead. leads. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The hypodermic little needle leads, because those thermistor plugs, those little um, uh, Molex plugs, they can be tiny. So you want to get they in there. They are tiny. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if you try to force a set of standard leads, you're going to break it. You're going to break the connector. You're going to break the plug. And then you may even have to either invest into a, a, a board or even the wiring harness. The or good, go down a rabbit hole you don't want to go down yeah. to. Well, the good thing yeah. about breaking it is you just proved it's bad. You just yeah, proved that's a defective part. So you <laughs> know you need a new one. Yeah, you, now you know one, you need a new one. One funny story, which is not too funny. Um, I was uh, searching for my needle leads inside like, my meter case, and I shoved my hand inside um, there, and the needle went between my finger and my nail. Uh, yeah. You should have heard me speak Spanish on that day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to delete that out because that just that just hurts just that is yeah, that's that's a painful. <laughs> but realistically, you can buy universal needle leads to adapt for any multimeter. They're really affordable. Uh, you yes. go on Amazon or things like that. I mean, they're totally worth the investment. Uh, and I, as far as I'm concerned, we back probe a lot of our connectors. There's very rarely we have a terminal block to test voltage or resistance on things. So it, those needle leads are yeah. irreplaceable. You need them. Yeah, you need them to diagnose our equipment anyways. Yeah. You know what I've always I've always recommended to people when I when I was doing the, the classes, especially if you have maintenance tool and you have a, a system, start with everything off. Mm-hmm. The yes. system's been off for twenty minutes, 
and then look at all the thermistors. If they're in the same space, they should all be really close. I mean, if they're a degree or two off, don't worry about it. But, you know, if you get the same temp- temperature and you got one that's 40 degrees different than the others, that's the one I'd be looking at. That is that is a good point because there's no sense in running the system if you don't have to. You can mm-hmm. just connect and install. Look at your permissions, and like you said, Paul, you can just look at the temperature readings, and the one that is bad should stand out. All right. So what else do I need? I got my, uh, obviously, the tools to get the panels off. I've got my my meter that measures resistance, and I've got my needle leads. What else do I need to know? Well, well go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, next thing is uh, getting the service manual. Right. Getting the service manual out and getting that chart. But, again, remember, we have three types of uh, thermistors in our uh, system. Uh, which is low, medium, and high range thermistors. So we have to make sure that we're uh, choosing the right chart for measuring this. Yeah, so each yeah, thermistor, it's not a 10K thermistor. No, yeah. it has a specific chart, and it sort of reminds me of a psychometric chart in a way. It's going to give you the yes. temperature. It's going to give you the temperature, and you go up and look for the line and where it intersects with um, on the graph. With the curve. On the curve. With the curve. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I couldn't think of the word curve, <laughs> uh, which is unusual. So what You've it got is too much in your mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm, th- I'm still thinking of that sandwich from yesterday. I want to go back today, actually. Bryn, that's what Phil Tripp. So, yeah, because you've got to look at the right chart. Uh, because if not, like, like Scott mentioned earlier, it's going to lead you the wrong path. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just going to frustrate you. Right. So if it's shorted, that's an easy diagnosis. And if it's open, that's an easy diagnosis. So so give us some tips, guys. What do you tell your students in, in class? How did, how should they test these? Well, things? before we get past that, you just said if it's open, we know it's a bad thermistor. And Juan made a great point earlier, which is that our – our meters need to be able to get up to at least a meg. Uh, on some of our charts, especially the discharge thermistor off of our compressor, 0.5 megs, which is 500,000 ohms, is like 34 degrees. So yep. that's a totally normal temperature we can see, especially up here in the northeast. If the unit's not running, we may see you know, half a meg on that uh, thermistor. If your meter can only go up to 500,000 ohms, it's going to say OL. And that's not necessarily a bad thermistor. It's just that you're using the wrong tool. So Juan made a great point when it comes to making sure you can at least get up to a meg with your meter so that we're not seeing an OL when really it's just a high ohms uh, that exceeds the capacity of our meter. You're only as good as your tools. Yeah. Yeah. The one that we're using, uh, and I think I can speak in general with all the our training centers, but uh, uh, the meters that we use in our training centers are about 240 megs. Good. That's definitely. All right. So what about knowing what temperature I'm I'm at? You guys recommend that they put it in a known temperature or you're just getting close? I mean, how far off do we have to be before we're concerned? I I like to get as close as possible. There's uh, when someone asks me how close is close, I struggle with giving an answer uh, because I the best way I used to do it all was to stick it inside a glass of ice water mm-hmm. uh, because I knew then uh, it was 32 degrees. So I looked it up it. in the chart. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, as long as that water temperature is close to 32 degrees, the chart is going to tell me pretty much what my resistance value should be. 
But then again, if you don't know what the pipe temperature is that that thermistor is attached to, what I've done in the past is I will pop it off the tube and let it dangle to reach ambient temperature. Mm -hmm. You can always get a a thermometer and and take your ambient temperature and blow out the atmosphere. Yeah, that's often what I recommend because uh, I don't know about when you guys were in a van, but I never had a cup of ice water at my disposal. So it was, you know, put that thermistor <laughs> in ambient temperature outside the sun and either look it up on an app or get a, you know, thermometer probe, see what temperature it is, take a resistance reading and compare that to the chart. So Juan, what's your favorite thermistor? My favorite thermistor is TH4. Yep. Yep. Dang what about you, Scott? And wait a minute. What? Yeah, TH4. Well, what does TH4 tell you? TH4 is the thermistor that monitors discharge, com- compressor discharge line temperature. And is it TH4 is, on all our equipment? And for for the most part, yes. Or our new equipment, yes. No, I can't touch peak our older equipment. Yeah, you mean older, like newest current equipment, yes. Yes, yes. sorry, yes. Uh, but the best thing to do with that question, Paul, is to confirm it. Uh, mm-hmm. In the manual, uh, but uh, you know, discharge temperature is discharge, discharge temperature. But for the most part, we label it TH4, and that uh, uh, thermistor is the one that monitors the hottest part of the system, which is the one of the most critical. Yep. And we look at that at that thermistor in many ways. We uh, calculate to see if the system is over or undercharged. Yep. Do you want to know what my favorite thermistor is? It's afraid to, should I be afraid to ask? <laughs> His favorite so, thermistor is thermistor mister. Yeah. <laughs> so on R2 systems, the THHS is one of my oh, favorites. Yeah. The fact that we have a thermistor on our inverter boards with an LEV yeah. devoted to uh, essentially an evaporator on the backside of that inverter board. Such a cool way of using our refrigerant to cool things down. Um, you never yeah. think Mitsubishi like to do that kind of thing, cool things down with the refrigerant. But we cool our inverter board on the R2s with the refrigerant. All right, guys. So I'm looking at the manual right now, and I don't even know which manual it is. It's for uh, I think it's for a City Multi R2. And I'm looking at um, – no, it's not a graph. It's actually the, the chart, the parts. Um, a table. Yeah, the parts table. Thank you. It's actually um, – it actually has the thermistors listed here, and it tells you – TH12, 15, and 16, it tells you what they do. But in this particular page here, it doesn't give me a graph. It gives me a temperature in Celsius and a temperature in Fahrenheit, and then it tells me what the resistance should be. So just as an example, zero degrees Celsius, which hopefully most of us know is 32 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm looking at 15,000 ohms, right? At 68 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm looking at 6.4,000 ohms. And at 40 degrees Celsius, which is 104 degrees Fahrenheit, 3.1 K ohms. So this is one of those thermistors that with an increase in temperature, there's a decrease in resistance. And Juan, what's that called? Negative coefficient. Negative Mm -hmm. temperature coefficient, right? Uh, The opposite of that is a positive temperature coefficient, which was with an increase in resistance, there's an increase in temperature. And I bet you if I scroll further down, I'm going to find a graph uh, that shows me that. So I can, if I don't want to do the math and do all that, I can just plot it. And again, with that table that you just had pulled up, Paul, 
um, it actually was telling which therm what that thermistor was controlling. So it was some of the thermistors that were listed there uh, were LEV control for maintaining or moderating superheat or subcool throughout the system. Yep. So that particular table even tells you this thermistor is in charge of LEV control to maintain certain targets. Yep. That's a good point. There's a lot of information in these service manuals, and it, it can be very help helpful. So I know. Um, it's against our nature to read instructions, but I, I strongly recommend that everybody, uh, you got an issue, uh, start with a service manual. Yeah, yeah. I told my classes in City Multi, both in the uh, three-day class on the things. my favorite chapter in the service manual is chapter five. Mm-hmm. Because that's everything to do with operation. Yep. And I mean, it gets into not just the commissioners, but it gets into the... Uh, solenoid valves, so forth, even though this is not the subject for this podcast. But, uh, I mean, there, there's ways of, of properly testing a thermistor. covered several of them um, by using the cold water or by using ambient temperature or by looking at uh, the table that Paul mentioned. Uh, but again, it's, it's as, as Paul alluded to earlier, you have the right meter for you to be able to do that on the right leads. I can't I can't say that enough about having the right leads. So you will compare the resistance value you're measuring on the thermistor to the resistance value uh, on the part of the table and you should match the temperature with that thermistor recently. I was just to say just just make sure the first step is before we unplug anything off our boards is to power off. Yeah, I was actually going to get into that. Um, I talk about this a lot in my class, which is uh, because we have hands-on troubleshooting, I like to review that. If we're checking something for voltage, especially because we have these Molex plugs, if we're checking something for voltage, power's on, and that component's plugged in. But when we're ohming something out, if we're checking resistance across a component, like a thermistor, for example, power down and unplug. And we can back probe that connector with it unplugged to get that resistance. Uh, that's the proper way to diagnose. If you leave it plugged in, you're going to pick up resistance across the board. You're not going to yes. get an accurate reading. So when we're ohming out any component in our system, turn the power off, unplug, and uh, check your voltage or your resistance. So let me ask you guys this question. Okay, say we fear that we have a bad thermistor, right? So we ohm it out, we compare it to the chart, and it actually matches exactly what everything matches out perfectly. What would be our? What would you guys be? Your next step would be. I would think um, the placement of the thermistor. Make sure it's um, placed properly. Whatever it's sensing, like if it's a pipe ther- ther- thermistor, maybe it fell off. Um, I would check that, and then I'm sure you there's would a also bunch have, of other things. Yeah, you would also have to know the voltage from those pins. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, yeah. voltage from yeah. the thermistor, and like you said, Scott, the thermistor may check good as far as resistance value, but if you don't have that voltage at the pins, uh, the, the board is not going to recognize that mystery. And I think that gets misdiagnosed a lot for that reason, where it's actually the mister was good, it was just a bad board that was doing that. So, okay. Yeah, definitely a good, uh, on the troubleshooting side, good practice. If you have an issue with a thermistor, check the voltage going into that thermistor connector as well. But thankfully, what I've found is generally when thermistors do fail, uh, fail, 
they don't necessarily fail within like five degrees. Oftentimes when I was in a van, if something failed, a thermistor failed, it was usually reading, you know, something like 140 degrees when it was 55 outside. Generally, they don't fail within a couple degrees. It's generally a pretty big failure where it's it's pretty obvious the resistance is off. Yeah. I think my experience, 95% of the time, it either fails shorted or open. Mm-hmm. Very rarely in my experience has it actually changed value. Yep. Right? And, and here's the, uh, the, the thing, too. A lot of people will get a different thermistor that's not the exact part. They'll get a third-party ther- thermistor. They think it, it's close, and then... It's too short. They're going to add some some wire to it. If you're adding wire or if you're cutting wire, you're changing the value. So just be aware yes. of that as well. And that, since you mentioned wire, I mean, we there's so many of us that will overlook the actual wire because if the wire is shorted to ground, what happens to the DC volts traveling through those wires? It goes to zero. Mm-hmm. So it's just like not having any voltage. So, I mean, you know, we can't just forsake uh, a good or a bad wire. Yeah, that's a good point because anything can pinch your wire. I've seen them pinched, you know, yeah. uh, the wire strapped someplace, it gets pinched in, uh, in a, with a panel or a cover of some kind or even um, a zip tie too tight It'll pinch it sometimes and, and then wears off. I want to open this up with this question. So we find the bathroom mister. We have a new one. I, the way that I used to do it, I used to always home out the new one before I put it in, <laughs> just smart. to make sure that yeah. it was within range. Yeah, that, made it through, uh, made it through uh, shipping. Make sure it's the right one. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So I think that just about wraps up thermistors. Uh, just to recap, if we suspect a bad thermistor, we can always ohm it out, uh, check the resistance across it. With our meter, uh, we've got maintenance tool. Uh, and obviously in our service manuals, we can compare that resistance reading against our charts, make sure we're within tolerance. Anything else to add? Don't forget the voltage. Don't yeah, forget the, the voltage. voltage right? And, and, <laughs> you got it, one. And not all thermistors are, are the same. So you can't just grab a thermistor from no. one unit or one or a different place in the unit and, and plug it in. In fact, um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, it's been a while since I've looked at a piece of equipment, but... The Molex plugs on the end of the thermistors are going to be different colors and different sizes, so you can't interchange oh, yeah. them. You are correct. Well, good. Yep. Yeah. And if you need the part number, just go to MyLink Drive, pull up your unit, look up the parts manual, and we've listed all of our thermistors, part numbers, and get your uh, replacement parts. All so. right. All right, guys. Thank you. Scott, say goodbye. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. All right. Say goodbye, Juan. Hasta la vista, baby. All right, let's go get Cubanos. Ben, all right. Actually, <laughs> I'm ready. This Cubano no, is no. ready for it. <laughs> well, listen, you um, well, you know what, Juan? I'll I'll send you one in the in the mail. Consider it done. I'm sure. But I'm, I'm gonna sure go try it. They had a Fenway. Well, Did you see the yes. Cubano in, yeah. in Boston or wherever it was, it's unheard of, right? You don't typically find that type of sandwich there in Boston. I, I would see it. Yeah. You know I what, just, Scott? You do, but they but they make them with chicken. Them just about anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> just like you find us, just about anywhere. Yeah. No, I um, I I just can't say enough good things about this sub shop. So again, it's Jenny's place. It's uh, Jenny was there and Michelle. Um, you can just go there, and it's and my wife. Listen, my wife got into the car last night. I forget where we were going, but she she gets inside the car and she goes, "This car smells like subs." <laughs> I go, well, we had three of them in here because I drove, I took my car with three of us went. So, yeah. 
So she knew what I ate. So I couldn't lie to her. Subs are underrated. Subs are freaking delicious. Yes. Did you say freaking delicious? Freaking, freaking delicious. Yeah, we can probably fade up before that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs>